Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. Thank you to an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank who paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Learn more about this amazing nonprofit organization at MidwestFoodBank.org. Gary Thomas is back as my guest today. Last time, he discussed nine ways to connect intimately with God, and today, we're talking about connecting intimately with our spouse. Gary has just released an awesome book that he co-authored with our previous guest, Deborah Faleda. It's entitled Married Sex. And today, you're going to hear more about sex and marriage in this safe and trusted place where Gary's going to encourage married couples to gratefully enjoy all the marital pleasures God has stored up for them. Here's our chat. Welcome back to the Savvy Sauce, Gary. Thank you, Laura. So glad to be back. Well, in case anyone missed our previous chat on September 13th, will you just remind us of who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm a husband, a father, rather recent grandfather. I've been a writer for most of my adult life, and I'm also on the teaching team at a church in Houston, Texas. And what I always appreciate about you, Gary, is you always esteem your family so well and honor Lisa. And that was especially important in one of these newest books that you've written with Deborah Faleta, and it's entitled Married Sex. And I love how the two of you point out this positive correlation between a healthy emotional connection in marriage and a fulfilling sex life. But before we jump into all of those details of married sex, what have you learned about the importance of the word cherish? Laura, I God used that word to reset my view of marriage, my expectations of marriage. They've got married, most of us promise to love and to cherish until death do us part. And I don't know that I'd ever thought of the word cherish for another 25 years. <laughs> Madonna had a song that came out in the 80s that might have brought it to my mind, but I didn't really take it seriously. But the Lord challenged me that there was something there. And I began to explore what it meant and began to practice it. I'd always called myself to love my wife, even sacrificially. But Cherish just created an entirely new element. Love focuses me on my obligations, sacrifice, serve, be faithful, persevere, hang in there. But Cherish focuses me on the beauty and excellence and even wonder of my spouse. And I found it created an entirely different dynamic in marriage. And so it was a new rubric through which I looked at marriage, a new invitation of, of how I want to look at my wife and treat my wife for the rest of my days. Well, and as a pastor, you've spent significant time studying the Bible. What do you believe God's gift of sex teaches us about him? It's amazing to me, Laura, when I really take it seriously, what God tells us about sex in his book. For starters, we can just look at the title of the book that is primarily about sex, The Song of Songs. The ancient Near Eastern phrase, something of something, 
elevated whatever was being discussed. An analogy that most people would have heard is God being called the king of kings. That doesn't mean that God is just the greatest of kings or the strongest of kings. It means that if you were to put all the kings of the universe together, God would be king of those kings. He's different in kind. And so in the Old Testament, now this is pre-Christ, but in the Old Testament, when it's describing the song of songs, not just the best song or the most wondrous song, the song that is different from every kind, that stands above every other kind of song, is a song of a husband and wife in their intimate sexual relationship within marriage. And, and so God is telling us just with the title of the book, there is no other experience like this. And it shouldn't surprise us that God gives us that title, gives the book that title. When you think about what sex can do, the fact that as God is creator, in one sense, we become cooperating creators in sex, that we can literally create human beings who share our DNA. What sex does to us relationally, where we feel connected with somebody, like we'll never feel in any other circumstance. The fact that it makes us feel like we are humans with bodies. We are embodied people, embodied beings who have nerve endings that, that can fire off in, in so many different ways. And so while sex reminds us of the transcendent God, it also reminds us that we are very much physical people. In that regard, I, I don't think it's surprising that he gives it such a high praise by calling the book about sex, The Song of Songs. I love how you're writing definitely just leads us to worship our creator. And I'm just going to share a little quote of yours where you elaborate on this and say, God is a giver and his gift giving ability and creativity are stupendous. And will you just tell us a few more of your takeaways from studying the Song of Songs? Yeah, well, I think one of the ones that was so gratifying to see is the very second verse, Laura, the very second verse. It's the wife talking. And she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And I think in previous decades, there was a sense, even within the Christian world, but not just the Christian world, I think outside of it, the sex was often seen as for the husband, just to meet his needs or to keep him from stumbling or, or whatnot. And right out of the gate, the Bible says, no, this is for her pleasure. When this wife says your love is more delightful than wine, that can go over the heads of a lot of modern wives because a lot of modern wives may not even like wine. I'm sure many do, but but not all. But if you go back 3,000 years and think about a woman living in the desert, what it was like for women, think about how many pleasures she didn't have. She didn't get to wake up to a cup of caramel macchiato. She didn't even have Folgers, right? Coffee wasn't there yet. She couldn't have dark chocolate. In the afternoon, it hadn't been invented yet. I, I can't imagine my wife's life without dark chocolate. And in the evening, she didn't get to turn on the Real Housewives of Jerusalem to chill out with Netflix. She really only had one pleasure, and that was wine. And so what she's saying here, when your love is more delightful than wine, and I should say that word love in Hebrew is dod, D-O-D, referring not to romantic love, but physical acts and caresses. She's saying, I really have no other pleasure than this. Now, plenty of wives listening may say, well, you know, frankly, I might prefer a novel or playing an instrument or taking a walk or leading a Bible study. And, and that's fine. The takeaway, though, is that God's book on sex begins with stressing the wife's pleasure, that this is for the wife. Sex wasn't created just for the husband. 
women are supposed to enjoy it as well. That's what God's design is. And yes, how you say the first person to be pleased is the wife. And I think you drew out so many interesting principles from Song of Songs. Before we started recording, Gary said a prayer and just was asking for the Lord to make this a time of instruction as well. And so as we share these things, that's our hope is that it lands on ears that appreciate and can apply this information. But from the Bible, I'm going to requote that Song of Songs verse that you were talking about where she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. And you write in the book, the kissing may involve his mouth, but not always hers, meaning he's kissing elsewhere. She wants his mouth all over her. And I think that's just a little taste of what this book is about, how you and Deborah just beautifully weave in scripture and point us to worshiping God and reveal his heart in married sex. And you've heard a lot about the wife, but could you give us a little glimpse as well about the turbocharge for the husband? Well, and, and let me stress, Lord, just so people know, this is an explicit book that Deborah and I have written, but it's not as explicit as the Song of Songs. You really can't get more explicit than the Song of Songs. And so we just tried to follow the biblical model of, of celebrating what the Bible itself celebrates. And so while in one two, it celebrates the pleasure a wife gets, I think Song of Songs one nine really is one of the key statements for the husband when he says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, again, that can go over our heads 3,000 years later. But back 3,000 years ago, people knew mares didn't pull the Pharaoh's chariot. The Pharaoh was like a king in the game of chess and battles. You were fighting over the rulers even more than land. If the Pharaoh went down, the battle was over. So the Pharaoh would have chariots pulled by the strongest and fastest horses with the most endurance, and that would be stallions. But what they discovered is when a stallion is in a mare's presence, she's not there to pull, just to be in proximity. Her presence, her sight, even her smell would literally whip the stallions into a sexual frenzy. And they discovered that sexually excited stallions run faster and farther than stallions that aren't. It's it's sort of funny. It's how they literally up the horsepower 3,000 years before there were combustible engines. And it's really the picture of a man where, where the wife gets so much pleasure out of sex. The man feels like I can be stronger. I can do more as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a son of God. There's something about a fulfilling sex life that sets me up to be more engaged and to just be more involved and succeed in life in general. And when we read Song of Songs, it gives permission and blessing to so many marital acts related to physical intimacy. And often within marriage, couples very much can differ in their preferences, even if that act seems to be approved in scripture. An easy one to think of is oral sex. And so when couples are navigating the question of, is this okay? What do you challenge the couples to think about as they navigate their varying opinions about what they want to do specifically in the bedroom. Deborah and I both wrote from the perspective of we want to speak total freedom where the Bible speaks freedom. If the Bible doesn't have prohibition, we're very nervous about it. I mean, sometimes there are physical reasons to talk about prohibitions, but we're not raising them to the level of the Bible, you know, thus saith the Lord. 
And so where there's freedom, we want to speak freedom. But but let me also stress, Laura, especially if you're talking about oral sex, there are a thousand things a husband and wife can do in the bedroom. And ultimately, because mutual pleasure is so important, if if you can't do one out of a thousand things, you can still have an incredible sexual experience. What we try to do in the book is remove some of the theological objections to it. There are apparently, now these are these are somewhat poetic, but most biblical scholars today would say there is evidence for sure of the husband offering oral sex and the wife very likely offering oral sex to the husband. If you're wondering how that is, apples are often an image for the male genitals in that poetry of, of that age. And so when you look at those kinds of things, it's like, it seems like they're describing that. And because we know that God isn't against pleasure or sexual pleasure, he created it. Because we know that I don't think anybody would say there's a problem if a husband kisses his wife's neck or ears or breasts. There's not anything particularly dirty or certainly not nasty about kissing lower. We just don't see a biblical or even a natural prohibition to that. That said, if mutual pleasure is the goal, I don't ever want to ask my spouse to do something that would maybe because of a background or, or maybe something else would feel demeaning or wouldn't be enjoyed or wouldn't lead to pleasure. And so I, I do believe there's freedom, but we're not trying to give a lot of shoulds in this book. We're offering invitations. And sometimes you want to go to this party and not that party. Deborah says in the chapter, and this is why I loved writing the book with a licensed counselor. Deborah's worked with so many couples. And she's worked with a lot of women with that. And she says, you know, a lot of times it seems intimidating at first, but as the relationship develops, she says, and then even later, as you yourself get aroused, a lot of times some of those inhibitions start to subside a little bit and, and you can sort of just wade in. But, but I would stress, Laura, that this be done in a spirit of exploration and freedom, never, never coercion, never guilt, never acting like your spouse is is making you feel substandard for not doing one thing. Again, I want to stress, and I think our book mentions that, how many things we can do to enjoy each other sexually. We should not obsess on one particular act if our spouse does or doesn't want to do that. And I love how you're giving a both and answer because you say the Bible speaks a lot to the freedom. And of course, we're never going to want to push anything that's against our spouse's conscience or agree to anything that's against our conscience. And yet I've heard you teach before as well that there's some work to do to tease out what is also false guilt. So yes. there's a lot of discernment that goes into this. And you've given analogies before about spouses who say, well, I just want to be more adventurous. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, the blog post you're referring to, I said, it doesn't seem to me to be a fair question when so often these quote unquote adventurous things always come at the wife's expense. I mean, we, we mentioned oral sex, if we're being that explicit, there is a natural consequence of a woman giving oral sex that there isn't for the husband. There just is. That's just the way it goes, or at least the possibility of a consequence. So it's it's not exactly the same thing. Sometimes husbands wanting their wives to dress a particularly provocative way in public. Again, because of the world that we live in, it's natural that she might feel a, a different sense of vulnerability 
people are looking at her. Even things like outdoor sex is an entirely different thing about a woman being vulnerable uh, in that situation. And even on the beach, I, I just tell guys, there's a difference between getting sand on your body and in your body. I don't want to get too explicit here, but people know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I said, adventurous isn't a fair word because if I were to say, hey, let's be adventurous, I'm going to shoot an apple off your head with my bow and arrow. That's adventurous, but you're the one that's at risk, not me. And so again, I think the standards are mutual pleasure, making our spouse feel desired. And there are times we're going to stretch ourselves. I think for both husbands and wives, there are, are those moments when as all aspects of marriage, conversation, choosing to go out to different kinds of restaurants, going out for a walk when you might prefer to just sit by the TV. There are times in marriage asks us to stretch ourselves and to maybe consider out of love for our spouse that we'll explore something with our spouse that we wouldn't normally think of on our own. But that should be in a spirit of mutual pleasure, delight, and wanting to give to each other never coercion, guilt, or manipulation. And your stance in your writing and your speaking is always so wise. You emphasize both the importance of pleasing the wife, which a lot of times, unfortunately, can be overlooked. But then in this book, you also write a chapter entitled, What Gets Him Going? So what insight would you like to provide wives on that topic? And I do want listeners to know there's also a chapter, What Gets Her Going, where Deborah really helps husbands understand what's going on with their wives. So on the chapter, What Gets Him Going, uh, we worked with a lot of men. We had a private Facebook group. We interviewed other couples and whatnot, just trying to help wives understand. Now, we realize that no two men are alike. And I stress in this chapter that you can do great damage to your marriage if you treat your husband like most men like to be treated, if that's not how he likes to be treated. But these are really jumping off points. These are things that couples can discuss and talk about. And one of the things we found, and I love this in the private Facebook group, a couple of wives said, hearing these descriptions of husbands celebrating their wife's beauty, they said, make us want to cry. It's so moving to us. The way that husbands really can be enthralled with their wives bodies. God designed us that way to delight in our wives. And these husbands were saying, we don't want our wives to look like supermodels. We married them. We appreciate them as they are. And so it was just this understanding of how important sight is to the husband and how, how much they enjoy it. But then Deborah gives a very helpful section recognizing for a lot of women, it's difficult to be seen. It's difficult to be naked and unashamed. And so conversations they can have, the healing that has to go on and whatnot. But I do think a lot of women will find that it's just hard for them to believe that their husbands are so enthralled with their beauty because they compare themselves to other women. But wives, I just want you to know if your husband is being mentally faithful and regularly having sex with you, oxytocin is being released in his brain. Oxytocin is called the cuddle chemical. It creates feelings of bonding, but it also when, I, when, when a husband is climaxing, literally makes the person he's with look more attractive and other women less attractive in comparison. And so this is what I just love about God's design of sexuality, that marital sex is literally 
training the husband to find his wife to be the most beautiful woman in the world. And the wife gets to experience being the most beautiful woman in that world. And so I want to say, wives, just embrace it, accept it, believe it. Your husband isn't lying. He really does enjoy that. But then we also talk about this for for husbands, what gets him going, that for men, quantity is often an issue. Now, we know there these statistics are so hard to come by. I've heard anywhere from probably around 20% of the higher libido wives, maybe sometimes up to 30%. But that still means that it's probably more likely the husbands tend to be the higher drive spouse. There are some mechanical reasons for that. Men have about two and a half times the space in the hypothalamus devoted to sexual interest. And so you can have great sexual experiences once a month. But for men, what I try to say, quantity is a part of quality. Now, that doesn't mean that you make it a heavy duty or obligation, but you recognize what are the things that keep us from being intimate, perhaps as, as more often than we like. I, there's not any number I'm ever telling couples to reach. What I want is that both couples feel like they are desired and wanted and enjoyed, that it's a blessing and not a burden on them. Because of that, that, that it matters, there are times when a wife just can't get in the mood and, and, and shouldn't. Maybe she's not feeling well. Maybe she's just legitimately tired. Maybe she's not there. And so then we give some very practical, and there's some very wise wives that we talked with. I call them turndowns that turn your husband on. How do you legitimately say, I just can't get there, but you know what? This is actually a prelude to what will happen next time. It, it might be tomorrow. It might be later in the day. But you're always telling your husband, I'm looking forward to this. We can't right now. But how do you do that in a way that it actually becomes not a point of bitterness and frustration, but invitation and anticipation? There's an art to that, but it's it's a good art to learn. And then we talk about the power of your enjoyment, speaking to the wives. If a husband is healthy, he gets more pleasure out of his wife's pleasure than his own. Uh, and so often women think, I want to give to my husband. I, I want to meet his needs. And I want to say, well, good, but take a step back and say, one of the best ways you can give to your husband is to learn how to receive, to really enjoy it. That is actually exciting for him. So it's not selfish when you teach him how to please you. It's not wrong to say, that's not working for me, honey. That's uncomfortable. I need you to stop. You should speak up. You should help him help you, to quote a famous movie. And that's a gift to your husband. There should be no guilt. That's a good thing to do. And it actually, even while it serves you, it serves your husband. And while in the chapter, what gets her going, Deborah is very explicit about guys, uh, how, how they can massage and caress their wives' genitals. We go in the chapter, what gets him going? We do the same thing with the man's uh, penis. Uh, what does it mean? What what do guys often enjoy? And again, not so much the answers as questions. You can talk over with your husband. If this is going to be a lifelong relationship, how do we make it the best that it can be for both the wife and the husband? That is so fascinating, Gary. And I think it can provide this opportunity for couples to talk with one another. Hopefully, if they're listening to this podcast together, or they listen separate and are coming together tonight, they can ask one another, is this true for you? Is this what you experience? I think for a lot of women, 
body image is such a barrier to enjoying sexual intimacy. And so it's very helpful to hear from an objective third party, hearing you as a man say, maybe where women are looking and only seeing their flaws, men truly have told you they do not see her body that way. If they would just read those quotes, how husbands are celebrating, saying, I know she thinks her legs are too short, or she thinks she's gained too much after kids or something. And I know this is considered controversial. Laura, I don't know why it is. Men do. It's not always, but we do tend to be more visual. There's a reason there's a whole chain of Victoria's Secrets and you don't see Victor Secrets. That store is not going to make it. Um, that doesn't mean women aren't attracted to men physically, but it, it, it does mean that there just tends to be an excitement in the male brain. And I want wives to receive that feeling of being cherished, not as an obligation, but really just as what is it like to be fully cherished and adored and, and celebrated like that? And if they can go through some of the steps that, that Deborah mentions and receive it as a gift, not as a heavy obligation. And it can take years. I like what one wife said when she said, you know what? I was so body negative. She goes, I can't say that I'm body positive now, but I'm body neutral. <laughs> and that's a start. And it's good to, to get going. And then what I would say to wives on this, because we just talked about how to please the husband. And I said, one of the things is that your pleasure is so important to him and, and, and so thrilling to him and also important to you that I would say, particularly younger wives, Every woman is different, every woman's brain, every woman's body. And so we often tell couples, if you will just take your time, and I would say to the wives, it's a good and holy thing. It's a gift to your husband to sort of let him learn what pleases you. You can even guide his hand. You, you can tell him. Don't expect him to guess. He, he can't know because there's no other woman like you. But if you realize, okay, he gets pleasure out of my pleasure. Helping him to pleasure you, it's not selfish. It's a gift. So take the time to do that. What we really want to do in this book is just help couples to slow down, to cherish the moment, to not just focus on the point of orgasm, but to realize all of the road to get there can be sometimes even better than that finish. And just to to take the time to relish the moment the way that God designed us to do. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsorship message is unique because an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Midwest Food Bank works to alleviate hunger and poverty throughout the world by gathering food donations and distributing them to nonprofit agencies and disaster sites. Over $30 million worth of food is distributed to over 2,000 nonprofit organizations each month, over 30% of which was produce or protein. In 2020, over 186,000 family food boxes were distributed to disaster victims. Their volunteers are fundamental to the success of their organization. They collect, sort, pack, and distribute food and disaster relief donations and remind us every day that Midwest Food Bank's mission could not be achieved without them. Thanks to the generosity of donors, the valuable work of volunteers, and most importantly, the blessings of God, Midwest Food Bank shares the blessings worldwide. 
More than $360 million worth of food was distributed this past year. This is done from their 10 United States and two international locations. To learn more about Midwest Food Bank, to make a donation, or to see what volunteer opportunities are available, please visit them at midwestfoodbank.org. You discuss in one of your chapters about the five senses in married sex. So will you share some more ways to get the most out of involving all five senses? I said that was one of her favorite chapters when we stumbled on that. And, and here's what I love. Again, in this book that God inspired, uh, The Song of Songs, every sense, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, is celebrated as having erotic potential, the way that God designed our bodies. And if couples will just think, how can sound really impact the experience we have in the bedroom? It's amazing how exciting lifelong monogamy can be, how different it can feel with the same person when you just emphasize different senses. Sound is a big thing. There's a a lot of neuroscience behind the power of listening to music while you have sex. Some couples know that and they do that all the time. Others might not. We talk to wives about how you can use your voice as an instrument. It's an entirely different experience. For instance, if a wife is laughing or enjoying her time, and then she leans over and just whispers something into her husband's ear, that's sort of a brain hack where if somebody's talking in a normal tone and then they whisper right in your ear, your brain just wakes up. What did she say? How do I catch that? And if you just think of the normal sounds of a couple being intimate, whether the wife is laughing, whether the wife is moaning, whether the wife is silent with intensity, those are all very different kinds of sexual experience that, that the wife's voice is, is creating with sound. We talked about the importance of sight to husbands and also to wives, things that couples can do just to do that. Some people talk about mirrors, ironically, sometimes taking away the sight. One wife said, when I was blindfolded and I didn't know what my husband was going to do next, she goes, it created this heightened sense of expectation for me. Smell was a big thing. And in the Song of Songs, it's so celebrated. There's one thing that's true about lovers. They love how each other smell. I mean, it's throughout that. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume, Song of Songs 1-3, and several passages where they talk about it. And smell elicits memories. This is what's fascinating to me. I knew that smell, for whatever reason, our brain is connected to memories. But here's how some very creative wives have learned to use that. One wife, knows what perfume she wore on their wedding night, the first time they made love, and every anniversary, she puts a few dabs of that on, and it immediately brings them back to that special time when they were first intimate. Another woman said that we had this great time on vacation where she wore the special lotion. She said it was the best sex we've ever had, and every now and then she'll just put on that same lotion, and it reminds both her and her husband what it was like in that moment. But this is where, Laura, we're all different and every woman is different because one woman told us her favorite scent is unscented. So, you know, again, that's why this is a book of questions instead of answers. You have to go through it. Let me just say another difference between husbands and wives that's really fascinating. A woman's skin can be 10 times more sensitive than a man's. It explains why women tend to enjoy foreplay more because it just feels different to them. It feels more intense. It also explains why husbands often feel like their wife's touches are maybe a little too light. And wives may feel sometimes their husband's touch can be a little too firm. Well, 
if you understand the way our brains operate, then it's something that we can do to prepare and just to be aware of as we try to integrate all five senses to just create entirely new experiences by focusing on one particular sense. And there is one way to incorporate all five senses. Could you elaborate on that as well? Well, I I think this is when we're really talking about healthy relationships, Laura. I've worked with couples that have had affairs and they've admitted, in, in their words, the sex was pretty good. But by that, they meant it was athletic. They both got their release. They felt satisfied physically, but they said there wasn't that soul connection. But there is one sensual act in marriage that really does unlock all five senses. And that's a passionate kiss with your eyes wide open. You see each other up close. You can smell each other. Obviously, you're tasting each other. You feel each other with your lips. And if you're doing it right, you can hear each other. Uh, And it is that experience where you can really connect. It's not just physical pleasure. Not that I'm downplaying physical pleasure, but it's more than that. There's this soul connection. And so I often tell couples, don't just pay attention to how often you have sex. Pay attention to the kind of sex you're having. I mean, it's fine to have laughter sex. It's time to have athletic sex. Sometimes it's time to just have physically passionate sex. You both just want to enjoy that experience. But there should be moments, I think, in a healthy marriage for that sensual, soul-connecting kind of sex. And I think kissing with your eyes open is a big part of that. Will you also define what you mean by sacred simmering and then share some examples of ways we can actually incorporate this into our marriage? Yeah, this is real helpful. Simmering is uh, a topic that sexual therapists have been talking about, particularly last 10 years or so. And what I love is how the Bible predates so much worldly wisdom. You go back 3,000 years ago, and there are literally examples of simmering in the Song of Songs. Let me explain what simmering is. What What therapists understand is that it's difficult at times to go from ice cold to red hot. That's a big stretch. Even if you think you might be having sex later in the day, by the time you get there, you're just tired or you're busy or whatever, and you just can't get there. And so the notion is, if you can simmer, then you're much closer to boiling. And so if you know you're going to have sex that day, what are some things you can do to simmer? Now, the Song of Songs talks about literally the wife thinking, imagining her husband's body from the top of his head and his hair to his arms like rods of iron to his legs. And then the husband is mentally celebrating the most beautiful parts of his wife's body. He says the king is held captive by her tresses, referring to her hair. He says her eyes overwhelm me. So he's thinking about the sexually desirable parts. And so simmering is getting your mind in gear. I guess you could call it four foreplay. It's not foreplay. It's the four foreplay before you get into foreplay so that you even want to enter the realm. A foreplay. And so wife could do that if while she's fixing macaroni and cheese and heating that up for her kids, they have no idea that she might be mentally heating herself up in an entirely different way to enjoy her husband later that night. One wife plays this playlist. We talked about using music and they love to, to make love to music. And she said, they're literally songs that I have orgasmed to. And when I'm listening to that, the kids don't have a clue what's going on, but it just helps me get in the mood, and excited about what's going to happen. We talk about a couple in the book where sex had become just too sporadic. Both of them were frustrated with it. 
And the therapist recommended scheduled sex. And the wife at first thought, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want it to sound like this obligation. I, I put it on the list. But then the therapist stepped back and said, well, let's just talk about how you set up your day. And it was basically a day of simmering where take a longer shower, use a particular kind of soap, make it just kind of essential where you're just thinking about what would happen. And then when you're getting dressed, the clothes you wear and what you wear under your clothes, think about what makes you feel desirable, what makes you feel essential, what, what gets you in the mood, texts that you might send to your husband or that you might ask him to send to you. And, and in her case, she really wanted a wide berth between being a mom and being her husband's lover. So he realized she wanted him to bring dinner home. Friday night without asking her. She didn't want to have to make a mother's decision. And then when they got back from their date, he was the one who paid the babysitter. He was the one that got the kids in bed while she went off into the master bathroom and, and took a bath. And suddenly she said, this is the best thing we ever did for our sex lives. Because she realized a day of simmering makes me so excited for that moment when my husband finally walks into the bedroom and I'm all ready. And it's like, here we go. So just recognize for some, we have to simmer before we're even willing to consider foreplay. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean you don't desire your spouse. It just means the way our brains work. I've heard it said that, that multitasking is a myth. Our brains don't multitask. It goes very quickly from one task to the next, but it's not actually doing two tasks at once. Our brains can't do that, which means we, sh we shouldn't be surprised. Sometimes we have to simmer. If we've had a day of caring for others or working or studying, whatever we do, to really get in the mood for physical intimacy. And I think one more simple way for wives that they would always have access to is mentally just having thoughts of gratitude that they're intentional about to think about the character or things that they love or admire about their husband. I think that is another example of simmering. Denver talks about that where a lot of times for women, because often with women, sexual interest is in the neocortex. Men can often be more in the limbic. The limbic is the sight and sound. Neocortex is the quality of the relationship. And so thinking about how your husband is kind or he treats the kids. One wife said, to be honest, for me, simmering, she's a musician. When I hear my husband play the piano, that gets me going as much as anything. And so it's realizing simmering is based on what gets you going, not what gets your husband going, not what gets other women going, but really what works for you. The point is the Bible says that's a good thing to do. It's a holy and sacred thing to do. Thanks to our friend Joy, the SavvySauce.com has been completely updated. And if you follow The Savvy Sauce on social media, you're already aware that we launched a new tab on January 1st titled Articles. I hope you check out these new Savvy Snacks, which are articles full of quick tips for intentional living. Check out these articles today or join our email list to have them directly delivered to your inbox. Enjoy. And Gary, will you elaborate on the dangers of only relying on spontaneity for sexual encounters in marriage? There, there's a place for it, but I think we have to get to the point of not just what, what do I want, but what does our relationship need? And look at it as a relational issue, not just a personal issue. What makes us feel both cherished, what makes us feel desired, what gives energy and, and soul connection to the marriage? 
I just had a conversation with a friend. It's been months since we've gotten together. And he says, well, let's get together. I said, you know what? If you can call my assistant. I said, we, we say that, but if it's not on the calendar, it might be another two months before it happens. And th that's a sign of valuing the relationship, not that it's not important. It's just recognizing that in the world we live in, sometimes we do have to just get it on the calendar. What I found, Laura, what that can do is it can just really remove some of the frustration and the uncertainty. So you're not always, is tonight the night? Sometimes it's just kind of helpful to know, no, it's not. I don't have to simmer. I don't have to get my mind there. But tomorrow or the next day after that or whatnot, it, it can just be helpful. But again, this is a couple thing. Figure it out as a couple. The point is to make it a delight and not a burden. Yes, I echo that, that there's absolutely a place and a time for spontaneity that's wonderful for the marital relationship. And yet I've heard you interviewed before when you said, you know, looking back, you've noticed that that's where a lot of hurt came up in couples was when they only were being spontaneously sexually active or making these sexual advances just in the moment. And a lot of hurt would come up, whether that's rejection or not feeling planned for. And you just recommended it's better when possible to be proactively communicating. No one couple, let me just give an example. And I don't think people should use their conclusion as the model for them. But he was a very high drive spouse and, and she was not as much. And so he, he would like to have sex every day. And she was like, there's just no way I can get to that. And they finally settled on. This might not work for the listeners, but she said, okay. And they were a younger couple. How about every other day? And, and for her, it just meant that she's the next day, she doesn't have to think about it. It's not there. It's going to happen every other day. And again, that might still be too much for some wives. But what it did, Laura, is it took it off the table every other day where it wasn't a point of contention. He knew it. And now what had been frustrating or she's thinking, can I never give him enough? And he's thinking, I can never get enough. They really found that point where they felt like agreeing ahead of time. Okay. This is reasonable. We both think that this is good. And so now it's th th that tension was gone. I love that. And we've written an article on the Savvy Sauce website about in marriage making the covert overt. So making these yes. secret yeah. or internal expectations, making them obvious to one another. And you can really sidestep regrets and hurts that way. And again, your book is just an incredible and practical way for people to read that or listen to this interview and have some conversation with their spouse to follow up. Gary, what encouragement do you also have to share with married couples as it relates to the difference between our genital prime and our sexual prime? Dr. David Schnars was uh, a renowned sex therapist. He passed away within the last year, but he's done a lot of really helpful research and study. And, and we got that from him. The, the point is genital prime is when you can have the most active sex physically. But sexual prime is in the relationship when it's likely to be most satisfying. And that can be sometimes 20 years into the relationship because sex isn't just physical. There are physical components where you have to learn control. You have to learn each other's bodies. You have to learn your own body for things to work. But there's this sense where the whole relationship, spiritually, emotionally, and learning each other physically takes time to where it can take you know, 15 to 20 years for a couple to really reach the point where they both feel like we've got this down. 
And, and monogamy is what they choose because it's what they delight more than anything because they know, boy, we, we've got this figured out and we can't imagine it being any better. Now, the, the road to there, Laura, that we have to be aware of is that he also says there's a difference between the words he uses, uh, arousal and satisfaction response. And what he means by that, arousal response is what gets you aroused and satisfaction is what ultimately satisfies you and helps you to to orgasm. Those response thresholds change over time. Your body will change. The relationship will change. The experience will change. And so not to freak out that what worked for you in your 20s or 30s may not work in your 40s or 50s. It doesn't mean that the two of you are waning sexually. It just means what Dr. David Schnarch says, you've got to be a little more creative. That's why you, you talk about the five senses or you talk about the difference that each position means and, and, and how to be more creative and intentional so that you can create unique experiences. We should anticipate that, not to freak out about it, but just say, okay, this is what it is to be in a normal marriage. This is what happens with long-term sexual relationships. And so it, it doesn't mean I, I don't desire my spouse or my spouse doesn't desire me. me. It just means this threshold has been met and we've got to change things up a little bit to go forward. And I just want to elaborate on that. That's so important what you're saying, because over time and throughout different seasons, maybe after childbearing, women may experience vaginismus or different kinds of pain during intercourse. Yes. And it's very common at some point throughout marriage for men to experience erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. And sometimes these are more isolated experiences, but if it's going on for a really long time, that's okay to seek treatment. And we've done a lot of episodes related to all of those topics to help direct people to know where to go to find help. But I think you're right. Expect difficulties through some of the most challenging times are pregnancy and childbirth, parenting teens will change a sex life often for a couple and then medical issues or aging. And so there's always opportunities to seek out help, but those are sometimes that may be especially in need of support. Giving and receiving in sex is important for both spouses. So yes. how would you encourage both genders in seeing sex through the lens of both giving and receiving? Let me answer that by picking up a little bit on what you said before you asked the question about how after birth or as a couple ages or whatnot, that the threshold changes. I think what trips up many couples is that the, the goal of sex is often seen as orgasm. Now, the orgasm gap needs to come down. And by that, that's the percentage of time that the husband would have an orgasm and the wife would or whatnot. But we have to understand that there are a lot of very enjoyable things that husbands and wives can do together that don't involve necessarily leading one or both of them to that. And the same thing as far as penetrative intimacy, penetrative sex. And, and so and in some of those situations where taking that off the table, but say we can still enjoy each other, we can still touch each other, we can still make each other feel good, but there's nowhere in the Bible that says something is missing if you can't get there. Now, let me just say, eventually, I want a couple to consummate a marriage. And I think generally, for healthy sexuality, that should be a part of it. 
but not always insisting on it because it's what will most serve your spouse at this time. Maybe the wife feels like I, I just can't get there, but honey, if if you're here and you want to kiss me and, and, and touch me and I, I'm going to enjoy it and, and we can be there. But recognizing what I said before, that she may need to learn how to receive. And again, for her own pleasure, but also for her husband's. We had some husbands say that, you know what? I feel like Superman when I know I can please my wife. So it really is a good gift when you can help your husband learn how to please you. Uh, and so there's that whole chapter that that we wrote called What Gets You Going. We got the chapter, What Gets Him Going, What Gets Her Going, and the chapter, What Gets You Going, because the reality is because your brain is so different, and especially for women, and a lot of women laughed about this when they're in the book saying, you know what, what pleases me on Wednesday may not work on Friday, and that may not work on Saturday morning. And, and so no husband can guess all of that. And so just helping him, realizing that it's far more common for the guy to have his climax and and that not to have to take as much work. And so really trying to overcome that gap that often happens because it tends, not always, but it tends to be easier for the husband slowing down and figuring out, well, maybe it's better for the wife to please first, just whatever works best for the couple. That's so good and such practical wisdom. Is there anything else related to married sex that we haven't covered yet that you would like to mention? What I'd really like to see this book do, Laura, it's not just what happens in the bedroom. It's what happens after you leave the bedroom. I tell this silly story in some of my seminars about the work that Lisa and I had to do one time to be intimate on a cruise. We were with our daughters. They were a lot younger. They had key cards. We couldn't lock them out. They couldn't be alone on their own. And we finally figured out a way for them to be safely away from the room where we know they couldn't be interrupted. And it took us days to figure out how to do that. But we had a great time. But I I couldn't tell you what happened in the room. And if I did, I wouldn't mention it now. But here's what I remember. And this is what I want wives to hear. I remember dinner that night. We're with our kids, happy to be with them now because they're not keeping us from anything. So we're thrilled to be a family. But just looking across the table at each other with that wonderful smile, we know. They don't know. Nobody around us knows. We really enjoyed each other. We had a good time. It's that just special, private, sacred look that a husband and wife have. Some have said, you know, maybe even at church on Sunday morning when they look at each other and they kind of just remember Saturday night. And they say, man, nobody would believe it or nobody knew, but but we do. I just love the intimacy that memories of healthy, mutual, pleasurable sex can create, that it's something nobody else will ever know, see, or hear of. It's shared. It, it, it creates this bonding experience. And it's just, we want to create more of those knowing smiles between husbands and wives, whether it's at a family gathering, whether it's at a hotel, at a restaurant, or even at church, where it continues to be this wonderful, soul-connecting, marriage-building source Even after the pleasure is gone, the memories can be just as powerful to serve the marriage. Wow. I love that, Gary. You articulate that so well. And if anyone wants to follow up and learn more from you, where would you direct them? Well, if they want more information about the book, the the website for the book is marriedsex.us. MarriedSex.us. Now, people, um, understandable reasons, don't like to type in words like that. And so you can go to my website, which is GaryThomas.com. 
And that will link you to everywhere I am on social media. The book is available, you know, on Christian Books and Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all of that where they could order the book directly. Wonderful. We will make some show notes with episode links available for everyone. And you know we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, Gary, what is your Savvy Sauce? I think one of the most practical Savvy Sauces that you could do for a marriage. I, this, this is another wife who mentioned this. Uh, so I'm, I'm stealing this, but a great opportunity that uh, we had a couple one time that mentioned before they got kids, they could go a long time enjoying sex. And then they had four kids and it became all of these quickies. And the wife said, I liked it because it gave release, physical release, but there was something different. It's like eating fast food and fast food means you're not hungry, but it's not really nurturing. And they realized they had to step back and have these moments that they savor. There's a place for quickies, but for really connecting and defeating their marriage, they needed those times to savor. And so this was considered really one of the best opportunities where just to get away, particularly if you have kids, you rent a hotel room and the wife shows up first at about 3 p.m. And she gets to do whatever she wants to do. She can sit on the balcony if there is one and read a novel. She can catch up on Netflix. She can take a bath. The husband comes in and they go out to eat before or after they make love. They enjoy the time. And then afterwards, the husband goes home and the wife gets to stay in the hotel room to have a great night of sleep. Now, she can get up early if she wants to be there before the kids wake up or she can just decide that she's going to sleep in. You make it a whole day thing where the wife feels like this was an oasis. We have a chapter called In Getty Sex where life can be frustrating, it can be difficult, it can be hurtful, it can be scary. And, and good sexual experiences can be like an oasis in a desert. You still got to walk through the desert, but you're refreshed, you're renewed. So you can go out with new energy and new resolve to really make the most of your life. And so I would just encourage the listeners, the Savvy Sauces, create some of those moments. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe that doesn't sound inviting for you. But recognize there's a place where how can sex become the oasis that God intended it to be? It won't remove all of our problems. It won't solve most of our problems. But it'll help us reconnect so that we can face our problems together. Goodness, Gary, it is always just such a privilege to hear your teaching. You are so clear and you're such a kind communicator, both in your speaking and your writing. So thank you for devoting time to write this important book. And thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Laura, for having me. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life 
we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.